Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is here. Rebecca, great to see you. Good to be here. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Uh, good day, everyone. So, listeners, I'm sure you're all excited. The Marquette poll came out this week, and so you were all sitting there going, yay, it's Matt's opportunity to torture Robert with more polling numbers. And that's exactly what we're going to start with. But um, we're going to use this as an opportunity to talk not only about the state of the race, um, we have to talk about healthcare becoming one of the dominant issues uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, and there's a number of other issues that we're going to talk to. We may also get into the Randy Bryce race if we have time. Um, but let's start, panel, I want to get your thoughts on the Marquette poll, top lines. I think by now everybody knows uh, Evers has a five-point margin, 49-44. Baldwin has an 11-point margin, 53-42. Um, but there's a couple of things going on before we get, obviously, remind ourselves about the limits of polling and margin of error. A couple of things. One is Walker's favorability ratings have really gone in a wrong direction for him, even bigger than his actual polling numbers. He was has always been, he's had his favorables most recently above water, or at least, you know, uh, he was more favorable than unfavorable. That has flipped. He's now 52% unfavorable. His favorable is down to 44. So, or, so he is, he's had a real change. And the other big thing I want to get people to talk about is the gender, the gender uh, gap is huge. And in particular... Um, amongst college white male, non-college non educated white males being really the only demographic left that Walker's winning. So, so there's a couple of things that I saw, but want to open it up to, to other folks' thoughts. Rebecca, your, your initial thoughts on this poll. Well, before Robert throws cold water all over, uh, all that's over the why poll. you're going. <laughs> How do you know you're, you're judging? You're judging me with preconceptions. <laughs> before he says that it's not, it's a it's a very exciting poll, and I think it's a great story for Tony Evers and and for Mandela Barnes, and I think the Walker campaign knows that, which is why I think yesterday it might have been that uh governor walker came out with a new ad union suck was, is that the it was, summary it was the one where he's talking directly to the camera and he's like i know you've heard a lot of really negative ads boy golly gee isn't that <laughs> terrible but you know through all the negativity it's hard to remember all of these great things that i've done and let me tell you about those great things and he says you know more people are working than ever which obviously is not true um and and so on and so forth so uh you know i think I think it's a great poll. I think for Democrats, I think the Walker campaign knows it's a great poll for Democrats. And uh, now, Robert, you can. <laughs> I cold water's too harsh a word. Lukewarm water. Oh, so Charles Franklin is bathing in it. <laughs> just for my weekly reminder, uh, margin of error is four points, yep. which means uh, it could be a one-point lead for Evers. Yep. Okay, which means. If you were an actual, if you're doing actual social scientific research in a peer-reviewed journal, this poll and last poll would be considered a tie, pretty much. A one-point swing is not much. The, 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 the different people answered the poll, uh, probably different composition of voters because they're probably changing their model. If they're not, it's still different people they talk to. And so when you, so it, it's interesting. It shows this is a very close race and very winnable uh, for Tony Evers. 
Uh, it does not show what Mr. Franklin likes to say to the media because this is a media poll designed to drive coverage. This difference between the previous poll and the, and the next one is overstated by the media coverage. So we kind of know what we knew before. Uh, the breakouts are interesting. I, two things to point out interested in the panel's responses. Matt mentioned the, that there's only one group that Walker is winning, that is white male non-college. So this is literally uh, uh, you know, uh, work, working class folks, blue collar folks. We know the loss of unions statistically makes that group perform in a much more Republican way. And so that's, you can actually see this as part of Act 10 working. You can also see this, quite frankly, though, as a lack of a strong economic agenda that would actually appeal to these people on the part of Democrats. And so I think that it's not all you can you can characterize all these folks as somehow Trumpites. That's simply not the case. They're not all hardcore Trump voters, but the whole Democratic message appeals less. And that's something that we should be thinking about in urban areas and rural areas and small towns. The other thing is I'm intrigued by this six percent for the libertarian Anderson. What is Anderson's first name? Anyone? I have no idea. Okay, you see what I'm I saying? I don't plan on voting for him. So here's the I have thing. seen him. 90 92% have <laughs> never heard of him. Some of the 8% may be lying that they heard of him. <laughs> and so I'm just doubting that that 6% is people who have heard anything from Mr. Anderson. Maybe a percentage of that is. And uh, Matt was pointing off out off the air. He has some, some of the, uh, the libertarian views that are considered liberal, like, like legalizing uh, uh, cannabis. But nonetheless, I just wonder if there's not a bunch of Walker voters that are going to be chased back into the Walker column with the, with the ad Blitzkrieg by the time they go to the voting booth. I don't want to get too much into it, but, you know, when we're talking about the, the way it breaks down among demographics, I, I just think that, like, in our American caste system, race trumps um, gender sometimes. So, like, we are seeing really high numbers for Tony Evers among, you know, what the poll deems college-educated women. Uh, but I just, you know, I think that is, as we saw in 2016, that those are the most unreliable polling numbers for us. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I, you know, we just, we're going to talk later in the show today with Senator Larson, who's going to go through some of the competitive state senate districts. And our state is so varied, our state is so different, and there's a huge difference between Julie Henze's district, um, which we've been talking quite a lot about on the show, and say, Lee Snodgrass. Um, and in Julie's district, you know, that that is a district where Hillary did pretty well, um, but I think a lot of that was folks who are Walker Republicans and not Trump Republicans. And so anyway, all all this to say, like I just like I, of all the numbers that I don't trust, it's it's that one in particular. Um, mm -hmm. But I think one of one of the points that I would like to make, well, t two quick things about this. One, I think the poll is important, no matter how much it the. The reporting on the poll is important, no matter how exaggerated it is, because I'm hoping that it encourages, you know, progressives outstate with resources to invest more in Wisconsin. And I think we saw in 2016 that there wasn't enough investment in Wisconsin from the candidate who was on the top of the ticket or from various other players. And, you know, I'm hoping that this really shows folks, you know, I think we've, we feel beaten down that, you know, we've lost a lot of elections. And I think you know, folks in labor and elsewhere who've been helping us also probably feel not too hot about Wisconsin. And I'm hoping that this turns the tide on that in a significant yeah. way. That, that, yeah. that, that's an excellent point. What you're actually talking about too, and then I'll go back to Robert, is this bandwagon phenomenon on polling. I actually tried to study this in graduate school, and I do think there is, 
you know, it's hard with using Robert's really strict social science, right, to show it fully, but there is good statistics that show you're absolutely right. The movement and the pull, the public perception that things are moving to Evers is helpful because um, it does show people tend to want to go with the winner a lot of times. Some of our, uh, some of our social science or our psychological work that we do plays off of that. So that's a really excellent point that the, the media's perception of it does matter, Robert. Though it's sometimes the other way. There's reason to believe that some folks vote for Trump assuming he wasn't going to win. Uh, so it can go the other way when it's some kind of guilty pleasure, I guess, that, that those voters were, if they were doing that, were experiencing. And I, I know you're about to yeah. say but quickly on that, I think it's particularly dangerous for Tammy. And you see mm -hmm. every single time one of these polls comes mm -hmm. out, they're like, listen, Russ Feingold is up in the polls. We really need you to help, you know? And so I think these high poll numbers for Tammy can make people think that she's got it in the bag. So I think Rebecca is very apt in pointing out this uh, <laughs> white college female there were numbers uh, in 2016 in the Philadelphia suburbs that showed Hillary was going to win 60-70% in these suburbs, and it changed Hillary's campaign strategy. And for some reason, they were really excited about, they, in other words, they seemed to be much more excited about Republican women who are more upscale becoming Democrats than they were at trying to appeal to people who were economically struggling in the rest of a state like Pennsylvania or Wisconsin. And a lot of those early polls, at the end, those women came home in the, in the voting booth. So the 6236 seems like a potentially a scary and unreliable number at the end of the day. I agree with Rebecca totally. The other thing to note is partisanship. Look, there's this divide we've known about in Wisconsin for a long time. 94% of Republicans are for Walker and 93% of Democrats are for Evers. Uh, and I'm not sure I believe the others are actually Republicans and Democrats, the ones who say that they're for the other candidate. Uh, but then uh, it's 52-32, 20-point margin for Evers among independents. Walker cannot win with that margin. But those are the most movable voters, and that's what the whole Walker media onslaught and all of the lies about uh, kids being unprotected, about rapists and murderers being walking the streets, and et cetera, et cetera, all of that stuff um, could influence those voters, especially because they're going to be treated to another $20, 30000000 million of it before Election Day. So with that, we are going to take a break. When we get back, we are going to follow up on something Rebecca talked about earlier, and that is the poll and, and Walker's kind of response to it. And we want to talk a bit about pre-existing conditions and healthcare and just how it has been a rough couple of weeks for Walker and his responses to come out punching. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, we started the show by talking a little bit about the polling numbers, and so obviously, you know, not great news uh, for Governor Walker, um, but one of the things that's been occurring even before the poll came out over the last couple of weeks is health care as an issue has become white hot, and in particular, Walker, uh, his failure to... Um, support the idea that we would have a ban on pre-existing conditions as a part of the Affordable Care Act. It's a core part, Robert's talked about this, of the Affordable Care Act. You can almost not separate out it in the Affordable Care Act. And so 
the Evers has been extraordinarily effective at going after uh, Walker around uh, his lack of support for this. And we're, we saw in the poll, Affordable Care Act, while you know not like overwhelmingly popular, certainly repealing it, not having any sort of plan, is wildly unpopular. And we know nationally, uh, pre-existing uh, condition discrimination ban is generally about a 75-25 issue. So Walker is just getting pummeled on the Affordable Care Act um, and in healthcare in general. So Robert, I want to get your thoughts on that and then move immediately to he's transitioning and immediately came out attacking unions again to try to change the subject. Robert. Well, first, he possibly made a big mistake by bearing down on health care and making it the top Correct. issue for a week, yeah. where the best he can do is muddy the waters. He ain't winning this election on health care, and he's very likely to lose it on health care. And so making the pledge, which he seemed to make off the cuff, that people with pre-existing conditions would be protected and he has this fig leaf of a bill that doesn't do it, but he thought he could just get away with a little bait and switch where he says he has a bill, which and he's never pushed. Real quick on that, Robert, yeah. there's a lot of press this week about yeah. how what he says doesn't do it. Doesn't he's gotten do terrible press. We'll have links to that, and it's gotten tremendous play, right, that oh, yeah. his pledge is garbage. In fact, the Kaiser Family Foundation expert said it better at WPR than I've put it so far. His plan is like putting a couple stones in a river to yes. replace a dam. <laughs> and... Here's why that's a great metaphor. It's because you can't just ban pre-existing discrimination. It doesn't work. It, what will happen is insurance will be so expensive that, that no one will be able to buy it on their own uh, in this market. And so you have to have a large public system, ACA or something better than the ACA, like a Medicare for All or steps in that direction, like a batch care public option and increasing public steps, opening up Medicare. Those are all better. And so the problem is, is that conservatives have no answer to this. They know this, so they, they're just trying to muddy the waters. It's very disingenuous and misleading. He wants to convince voters he will protect them when he cannot protect them based on his own worldview and ideology. But it's just like the bait and switch where Trump and Ron Johnson ran on making health care more affordable and accessible and then did the opposite once they were in office. Same with Paul Ryan. So, But pre-existing condition discrimination, people shouldn't just see it as a small issue. It's kind of the tip of the iceberg. It is the tip of the spear because it's highly emotional and it actually reveals the moral character of conservative health policy in a white-hot way where people think about folks with cancer being thrown off their coverage or denied it, which is exactly what his policy does. It's just more visceral for people. So he's in a world of hurt on this issue, and I don't think having Rebecca Clayfish stare at the camera and say she's a cancer survivor, trust me, Scott will protect you, is very convincing. Yeah, and I think you wanted me to talk a little bit about how he's the trying response. to switch the so topic, right? Immediately. Yeah, yeah. So, so Governor Walker comes out and says that Tony Evers is bought and paid for by unions, and talks about special interest money for Tony Evers, which is just <laughs> outrageous. Because I'm very rich, and I'm <laughs> laughing. Yes, it's laughing. I mean, you know, over the years, tens of millions of dollars in outside special interest money has been spent for Governor Walker. So that's pretty outrageous. Um, you know, I think we also see, and we've talked about this in past shows, but r continued race baiting, and the big news this week is that his running mate, Rebecca Clayfish, um, came out and said, no, actually, Mandela Barnes wasn't kneeling during the vote, which like, I hate this issue. Uh, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't think we should talk about whether or not someone can or can't kneel, right. I think. That's know, right. Yeah. So that's the whole question of whether it would be appropriate to kneel or not, and then there's the accusation itself, right? Yeah, the whole thing is just awful. But, you know, I think, you know, to kind of tie it into what we talked about in the last segment with the polling, I think that... Uh, 
we'll see. I think there are a lot of opportunities for things to change. I think we're going to see more commercials like the one I mentioned that Governor Walker just came out with. I think we're going to see the debates. And, you know, I don't know how the debates are going to impact the discussion, but those are coming up. We haven't had those yet. Um, and then I think we'll see more race baiting. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm cautious and, and, you know, interested in kind of like a queasy way to see like how those things change. Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's coming out swinging. And this is very similar to what we talked about with education. Just quickly, you know, Robert just said he's not going to win on education, uh, healthcare. If anything, it's going to really hurt him. He's not going to win on education either. Um, anyway, sorry, go yeah, ahead. You know, I agree. He just wants to muddy the waters and then win on this other stuff, right? And so, and the kneeling thing is race baiting, right? Because it's been racialized, not because there aren't a lot of uh, people who are, who are not African-American athletes who might. They just, it happens that it's been, the movement has been led by African-American football players in order to call attention to the ongoing violence against African-Americans in, in, in our urban areas uh, by, I mean, organized violence by police. And so it's interesting also and this might be a there might be an interesting gender angle here. I'm not sure. Why is it that Scott Walker, for the first time in 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 eight years, is kind of has Rebecca Clayfish uh, being being his front person on healthcare and now on this this kind of racialized attack on on Mandela Barnes? Ooh, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to actually comment on that. I I actually believe that they thought maybe bringing up the the kneeling was a good idea and saw right away it was terrible because there was no fact behind it, right? Which which really hurt them. And it was the same week she's out in big, multi, you know, big spending ads and it's her credibility and character that the pledge is going to be delivered because she has cancer, right? I think that was all greatly undermined that at the same time or she was basically proven to be a liar and there were people basically saying that, right? Look, like she lied, right? This is completely ridiculous. So I don't I think it actually really hurt them. And it's it, 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 because her credibility was being completely slandered at the same time it was supposed to be the credibility for the pledge. And I love as you her, pointed out, he has not. And I love her defense that she didn't know she didn't know what he did because she was looking at the flag. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> oh, she was so enamored with the flag, but someone told her, and so it must have happened. No, I think it's it's this repeated strategy that we see on the right where Republicans, um, part, including. Specifically, let me say that there are specific Republican operatives and super PACs that will throw out the most divisive, most outrageous, most untrue statements and tactics, and then they just pull it back if if it seems like it doesn't take. And we saw that with Randy Bryce this week, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it's the Breitbart strategy. It's a, there you go. Yeah, yeah that's ex- that's absolutely it. And so you know, this week we saw the Congressional Leadership Fund, which is it technically run by Paul Ryan, but it's like Paul Ryan's super PAC, right? He's very closely linked with it. It's his super PAC. Uh, came out with a commercial featuring Randy's brother, who's a police officer, and was really, really like unprecedented, divisive, ugly politics. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And it provoked a response from no one other than Randy's mother. And it was this really moving letter that was reported on the journal Sentinel. Um, where she said, you know, shame on you, Republican operatives and Republican super PAC for like trying to bring this division into my family. Like yeah. no mother wants to see her sons use as political pawns of billionaires. And it was a really moving letter. And if folks haven't seen the article, you should check it out. Mary Spacuza wrote it. But, uh, you know, I think it really there's a lot of backlash. And, you know, yesterday, uh, Brian Stahl, um, who's the Republican corporate lawyer who's outsourced jobs, who was handpicked by Paul Ryan to run for that seat, had a press conference yesterday and every single question was about the mother's letter. 
um, I think it really backfired. Yeah, the, if we'll have a link to, to the mother's letter. It, it's incredibly moving. And what was great about it was how she was able to talk about both her sons, right, in a way that really showed compassion, um, but in particular about Randy and said that Randy I have stands right up for values and equal justice, even if he supports police, right? Because their father was also a police officer, if I'm correct, right? right. That was a, a core part of what she was saying. Right, right, yeah. It was beautifully written. It was really well written. Yeah, she said that. She said, you know, he, you know, he, his father is a police officer, loved his father, um, but also stands up for people when he sees that there's an injustice being done to them. And she also said, you know, I'm proud of my son, Randy. When he enlisted in the army, I supported him through his battle with cancer, and I supported him when he became an iron worker and started fighting on behalf of working families. Yeah. And that's who Randy is. But, you know, again, millions of dollars being spent against Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes, millions of dollars being spent against Randy Bryce. And so it means it's that much more important that we have those door-to-door conversations to try to break through the lies. Couple quick things on this. Uh, first of all, just from a tactical standpoint, when you bring up the brother, you open up the door for the mother. <laughs> so they're sort of like move counter moves. You can see this politically, right? The other thing is you will bring up the special interest money, Walker's hypocrisy, because he's gotten more special interest money than any politician in the history of Wisconsin. I haven't added up, but there's no doubt of that, right? Furthermore, there's a question of what is a special interest. A labor union is a democratic organization that puts the nickels and dimes of its workers together to have influence, taking money from billionaires like Paul Ryan and Scott Walker does, whose motive is to strangle and undermine democracy in order to increase their economic power, is a different kind of special interest. And quite clearly, the trashing you're talking about, Rebecca, is because those interests that fund the billionaires that fund these campaigns want to undermine democracy. So in a weird sort of way, their work to, to, to elect Brian Stiles, Scott Walker, also achieves their goal of turning people off from the most fundamental thing it means to be an American, that is to be in a large-scale democracy. And with that, we are going to have to take a break. When we get back from this break, we are going to spend a couple segments with Senator Chris Larson, who is going to go in some good detail race by race, both the races we have to protect uh, as progressives, but also potential pickups. And so with that, we you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, we're Citizen Action, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are really excited about our next guest. Uh, he has been with us many times before on the podcast, and that is Senator Chris Larson. We're going to talk a bit about the state Senate and the huge opportunities we have this fall in the state Senate. Senator Larson, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always glad to be back. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a lot to talk about. Um, we want to get your thoughts on the Senate. We've talked quite a bit, but not talked a lot about the opportunity in the legislature and, of course, the Senate leading the way, but, you know, not taking a whole segment, really, just to chat about it, because uh, it's critical critical for us as progressives in terms of starting to build some power here. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what, what how you see the, the opportunity for the Senate uh, this fall? Well, the, the Wisconsin State Senate is, I believe, the second closest chamber in the country. Um, beside beside uh, Colorado, which has a one uh, one vote difference, uh, so there's a real chance. As far as the chambers go, go across the country, this is a, a huge opportunity. So not just for Wisconsin, but nationally, uh, to be able to restore balance to um, 
to uh, to our state. So we're two seats away, and before we get started on where what we uh, need to do, we uh, as far as uh, adding more seats, we have to hold on to the ones that we've got, right? And uh, there are um, two critical ones that are a little bit closer that have been within uh, two points in the last few cycles. And uh, one of those is, is Jeff Smith, um, Senate District 31, uh, which was held by Kathleen Weinhout for three terms. She, of course, left that seat to run for uh, governor. And uh, so now that the seat's open, he is facing off against the person she ran against last time um, when it was within two points. So this is one to watch. I think Jeff Smith. Uh, you, you can talk about his citizen action connections, but he's somebody who's no stranger to progressive politics, has done uh, amazing work as a legislator, as an organizer, as a regional director for the Democratic Party. And uh, we've got to get behind him. We've got an event coming up to, to make sure he stays there. We'll, and we'll talk, um, we'll talk more about that event in Milwaukee with uh, Jeff Smith later. So keep going on these other important races. Okay, so uh, the next one is uh, Senate District 25, and this is one, again, this is a hold for us. Uh, Janet Bewley is finishing her first term as a state senator, um, where she has done a great job on education. This is uh, the Northwest, so it was previously held by Bob Zalk, and I think it's either the largest or second largest district. Um, it, it, has, it contains parts of seven different counties. Um, so Janet is, uh, they're, they're actually dumping money, the Republican side, um, with hopes to either pick this up or, or distract us. But uh, we need to make sure that Janet returns, otherwise we don't have a, uh, a path to be able to get to the majority. Um, and the other one that I think a lot of the, the listeners will remember is, is uh, the most, um, the newest state center that we have, is already up for re-election, uh, a gentleman by the name of Caleb Frostman, who is actually, I believe, the second youngest now in the state Senate. He was a former uh, director of um, uh, economic development for Door County, and uh, he gave up that job to be able to run in the special election um, that finished up in, in June, which was the election that uh, Eric Holder forced uh, Scott Walker to call, where they tried to put it off and uh, keep it clear. So Caleb's in that. He's won, uh, but he has to run for the full term on November 6th. And it's a this is a rematch against Andre Jacques, um, who is I think here you guys have covered it so much. Um, he is he's, he's not a good. This isn't close. It's not a close between two two good uh, good candidates. It's not even close in this case. Caleb is uh, energetic. And uh, progressive, and it's important that he uh, he hold on to that seat. Yeah, a lot of our members up in the northeastern Wisconsin area, our co-op up there, are going to be helping Caleb uh, keep that seat. And yes, we have talked extensively about the the wonder that is uh, Andre Jacques. <laughs> yes, yeah, he is a. Uh, well, I think what's what's interesting, and I don't think it's been added into this podcast recently, is that. Um, all of his colleagues, or most of his colleagues, lined up against both of his primary opponents because because there was a special and the general. He's had two primary opponents, and both times his colleagues have lined up for the other person, right? And it was two different people. Um, and both times they, they fell short and now are kind of, you know, uh, head hung, following along and saying, all right, got to get behind this guy. And so... There's just not a lot of uh, enthusiasm because he goes on these 
these anti-women crusades uh, where he, he, he uh, tends to make everything about uh, women's choice and abortion. Um, no, he doesn't call them. Instead of the things that we actually need to be paying attention to, right? Uh, so I think that's a, uh, it's a, it's a good face-off, and yeah, Caleb, uh, Caleb uh, needs our help for sure. Except he doesn't call it women's choice, does he? Anyway, um, you don't need to comment on that, Chris. Uh, do, do you have more races you want to go through? Yeah, I mean, those are the ones that we're holding on to. Um, mm-hmm. The ones that we, so we need to win to, right? So we have to hold on to all those, and we have to win to. And there's a menu of good options. There's actually a few that, um, if you look at the most recent election, uh, results. The Democrat got more votes. The Democrats got more votes in the uh, governor's race, uh, the governor's primary, than the Republicans got in the U.S. Senate primary. Which I think, you know, it, it, I don't know if that's a good comparison, but it's the best that we've got. Uh, the other thing you can look at is Rebecca Dallet, who won um, some of these districts. Um, and again, we need to win just two. Um, the best-looking one for us is Senate District 17. Now, this is, if you go as far south as you can in the state and then go as far west as you can in the state, you're in the 17th district. So it's, it shares a border with Iowa and Illinois and the Mississippi. Um, this one is held by Howard Markline, who uh, is only finishing up his first term. He's an accountant um, who it sits on joint finance, which means that he's taken some of the most extreme votes um, where they were moving to uh, try and um, when they've, they've done their massive cuts to the university system and they've, they've experimented with the uh, repeal of open records, uh, Howard Markline was at the table and actually voted worse than some of the other Republicans because of the seat that he's in. Um, that is a, this is a seat that has been trending more and more Democratic. Um, just to give you the numbers on the last one, uh, Rebecca Dalek got 54.4% of the vote here in April. Um, the candidate who's running is Chris Marion, who is a, uh, a farmer. She serves on the county board and uh, is a graduate of Emerge. Uh, she's previously actually led her farmers union uh, chapter. So somebody who kind of understands, she checks off a lot of boxes um, for being, being connected to that district. And she's been spending a lot of time there as they've been dealing with uh, the rainstorms, the flooding, but uh, yeah, she's also she's got her schedule set up all the way through election day of fundraisers, of events. So uh, she's not taking anything for granted. And that's one of our best chances of picking up. And again, uh, Chris Marion uh, is her name. Um, the next one uh, is Senate District 19. So this is uh, North. This is Appleton. Um, and appear so just north of uh, Lake Winnebago. Um, this is a seat that was held for a long time by um, uh, Mike Ellis, who was pushed out by the Republicans to make way for younger blood. That younger person is Roger Roth, who now has to run for re-election. Uh, Roth is actually the Senate president, um, and so he's been not just voting along, but actually pushing some of this the horrible agenda that we've seen, like uh, like Foxconn, um, he got a bill, a piece inserted in the last budget where uh, they put extra money in for a airport a runway so that the rich folks could fly in private jets and get to the golf course faster uh, than other airports. 
So they did that, which I think compared to what's been happening with our roads, I think is a good uh, good way of showing priorities uh, for, for what Roth has done. Um, right now, Roth, of course, his name is in the news because he's pushing for the advancement of the Kimberly-Clark deal. Um, to try and get another Foxconn, right? This is this is like the the Oprah scenario where everybody is going to be asking for a Foxconn uh, type deal, and uh, Kimberly Clark is the first one at the table. So Roth is uh, not second guessing it. He's trying to push for us to come into session to be able to give away what could end up being a hundred million dollars for four hundred or less jobs, um, which is just would just be a disaster. Um, for our state. But yeah, that's Roger Roth. He's up. We have a chance to beat him before he starts giving away more of our money. Uh, the candidate is Lee Snodgrass, who is no stranger to progressive politics. She's actually the chair of the Outagamie Democratic Party. Um, and so she knows how to campaign. She's been working in this area for a long time. She actually works as the, in, her, in her day job as the uh, Northwest Great Lakes Regional Director for the Girl Scouts. So um, I'm sure they're going to be trying to throw mud at her, but my gosh, if you're if you're going after somebody who works for the Girl Scouts, you're uh, you're probably on the wrong side of things. Um, so Chris, yeah, we've the, we've got a lot of members who are going to be heavily involved in that race, and really hope uh, we can help her out significantly. Um, so that's definitely one we're we're glad is uh, being profiled. We gotta we gotta quick take a break. Uh, for commercials. We'll be right back right after and talking more about some of the very important Senate races with Senator Chris Larson. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're joined by Senator Chris Larson. We're talking about the huge opportunities that await this November for us as progressives in the state Senate. And um, Senator Larson, you've gone through not only the ones where there are current Democrats, but we've been going through the list of really huge opportunities. You've already mentioned Chris Marion in um, southwestern Wisconsin, and we were just talking about Lee Snodgrass up in um, the Appleton Fox Valley area. That's right. So those are, that's, that's, if we win both of those, we have the majority. Um, but lucky for us, there's there's other options. There's actually other races where we have really good candidates out there working. Um, the closest one to us in Milwaukee County is Julie Henze. Um, now this one, woohoo! Yeah, my gosh, this one would be great karma. Um, I mean, Julie Henze is fantastic, right? I mean, she, if you if you've met her, it's hard not to love her. She's got an event coming up on um, I believe Monday or Tuesday. Um, but she, she is, she leads hikes. She leads like group, um, uh, group learning exercises. And some of it includes hikes to the Grand Canyon, uh, which is just amazing. So we were at the fundraiser talk. The first time I met her, I remember talking to her about all the progressive politics. And then when we started talking endurance sports and hiking and stuff, that was the end of it. So we were, she's fantastic. And so, um, and this is the seat that's currently held by, uh, Leah Vukmir. So we're able to, while beating Leah Vukmir with Tammy Baldwin, um, then able to take that seat for Democrats with Julie Henze, uh, I think that'd be huge. And this is not just a flight of fancy. This is a seat that was within a couple of points when uh, in 2016. And uh, if suburban women um, are turning against Donald Trump and the Republicans as much as the polls nationwide are saying, as much as we've seen in other special elections nationwide, 
this one is within uh, within reach. And uh, I think if, if we are focusing our attention in southeastern Wisconsin on helping Julie, uh, this could be one of those sneaker wins um, where we can we can uh, take this seat for Democrats. So we've had Julie on. We agree with you and think that this is a huge opportunity. I'll be canvassing actually this Saturday. We're going to hopefully have a number of members out at 9 o'clock over at Julie's office. It's around about 120th and Burleigh. So folks, if you want to get out here in Milwaukee and help Julie this Saturday, uh, join me. We'll have some coffee and go knock some doors. And Chris, uh, remind listeners uh, who Julie's opponent is. Oh, yeah. It's uh, Dale Kuyenga. So Dale, the, the person who uh, was one of the chief architects of the takeover of Milwaukee Public Schools um, and uh, also somebody who's been sitting on joint finance going after Milwaukee uh, kind of repeatedly. It's kind of been one of his, um, his pet projects. So he, uh, he wrote that bill to take over Milwaukee's uh, schools. And uh, he's also been in the news because he uh, took a protester's sign at the Capitol, which was permitted to be there. And then I think I lost count how many times he came up with excuses for why he did it. It was like four or five um, before he finally ended up paying some type of fine. And it's unclear. I don't remember if he paid it out of his personal or out of the campaign or out of the state. Um, but finally he ended up uh, fessing up and paying up. This is one where, yeah. He is. He has towed the Republican Party line for for some time, and actually pushed uh, some some bad ideology where he's gone after public schools at the expense, uh, at their expense, in favor of private schools. And furthermore, he's sort of a marked man as far as on the rise in the Republican Party. He's considered like a future governor, U.S. Senate candidate, a future Paul Ryan or Scott Walker. He's an Iraq War veteran, though in intelligence, not in combat. I uh, won't comment yeah. on what you know, on that, but uh, and he's Mr. Affable Friendly, so he has a, he's a he's a born politician. He'll run up to you in the street and act, act like you're his best friend, even though he's uh, standing for you know horrendous ideology and and set of positions. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of that has shown um, in in some of his policies where he's not taking a backseat, so people understand that. But yes, that's true. So. Um, I do want to thank, take this time to thank our listeners who did come out to the Julie Henze fundraiser a week ago. That did very well. Um, just let folks know she was able to raise a, a good chunk of change. So thank you to everyone who was able to do that. Um, and well, let's keep going on your list. I know there's a couple more that you want to you want to feature. Yeah, I would say those are those are the, the some of the best opportunities. There's three other ones that are um, varying degree of. of uh, being able to win these, I mean, if there's a, there's a, if the big, if the blue wave is pushed enough by progressives, there's a chance we win all these, right? I think there's a lot, there's a uh, lot of skepticism because we live in Wisconsin, because we've had our hopes up for things like the recall for uh, uh, 2016, and so it's hard to get our hopes up. But I think that it's if if people really turn out, and if uh, Scott people are on to Scott Walker as much as they are, realize they don't want him or his um, his allies there anymore. Uh, a lot of these are within striking distance. Um, so one of the other ones is uh, Chris Kapsner, who is a emergency room surgeon. Um, I also I feel like if other people were telling me about this, you wouldn't hear this. But he's also a former Ironman, uh, where he's done two of those. 
Um, so oh, Iron know, Man, not Iron, not Iron not Worker. I was confused I for a second. In the state senate, <laughs> um, right now there's just two of us. So, uh, but yeah, he's running. This is a seat that's currently held by was held by Terry Moulton, who is uh, retiring. Um, and so he's facing off against um, uh, the assembly rep uh, up there who's trying to shift over. Um, and this is a district 23 that uh, it's within striking distance. It was uh, in the last cycle, it was within one percentage point uh, when Rebecca Dowell was running up there. Um, so, you know, if that blue wave happens, Chris Kapsner has got a good chance of winning. We got to make um, it happen, sorry, right, Chris? Yeah, this is Northwest, uh, kind of the middle of the state, Chippewa Falls uh, area. The other one is Kyle Welton. Um, Kyle Welton's running in Senate District Nine, which is uh, Sheboygan, um, uh, Sheboygan, Plymouth, um, just north of us by an hour um, area. This Kyle is, if he's elected, would be one of the youngest ever elected the state senate he's 25 years old was a progressive activist in the last cycle he was a field organizer um he's got uh roots in this area he is uh out there knocking on doors he's actually one of the biggest disadvantages i think a lot of people will know disadvantages are the tough parts about running for office is raising money because it's tough right uh, having been a young candidate in the past it is really tough if you don't have roots in a, a business community or have rich friends. Um, Kyle has not been held back by that, and he's actually out-fundraised his opponent in both of the last uh, fundraising reports, which is stunning. Um, so a lot of people are looking at this and looking at the work that he's been doing. The last parade, they showed up with over 100 volunteers. Um his secret weapon, which is his mom, told me, uh, you know, they keep on showing up and they keep on surprising the heck out of Republicans. And it's forcing everyone there to kind of take a look at this and think, well, this is a real possibility. Um, so this is an hour north of, of uh, Wisconsin, of Milwaukee, rather. Um, the numbers, it's within about four percentage points when Rebecca Dallet was on the ballot. Um, but again, if there's that wave, you have a really energetic a uh, candidate who's out there knocking on doors, raising money, doing all those things he needs to do. And uh, Kyle is, I mean, he just exudes positive energy. He is just like, just picture a smile walking down the street. That's Kyle. <laughs> so, Chris, before you go, we want to talk a little bit about the fundraiser we're going to have here in Milwaukee for one of the candidates you started talking about, Jeff Smith. And, yes, Jeff yeah. is a member, organizer for Citizen Action, um, but uh, you've agreed to uh, help host a, an event with us and a number of other groups um, here in Milwaukee, AFT Local 212, MASH, that's uh, the Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers, uh, will be involved, um, and we know WEAC's also going to be involved, uh, Senator uh, LaTanya Johnson and Carpenter. But we want to get folks out. It's going to be next thir or two weeks from this Thursday, the 4th uh, of October. October 4th, at, starting at 5 p.m. at Big Head Brewing, which is at 6212 State Street. So we're real glad that uh, you're helping uh, support this event. Yeah, it's in Tosa, yes. Yeah. Uh, this will be good. People should, should uh, have a chance to be able to come down and say hey to, uh, to Jeff and uh, hear what he's all about and uh, make sure that, that uh, we're bringing home a win here. 
he holds on to his seat, we pick up two seats. We've got the majority, and um, I mean, I think it's important to recognize what that means, right? It means that we have a uh, insurance. If if somehow Walker sneaks through, we have a chamber to be able to stop him from going after public education, our universities, of trying to move to do more horrible things that we can't even imagine. I think you know Walker has set that precedent of doing things in office that he never campaigned on. So. You know, uh, it, it makes us worry if he if he's there. If we have a chamber, not only do can we stop him, but we also have a chamber then to be able to hold down for redistricting to make sure that the entire map is more fair next cycle. Um, so, that's what's happening. As much of these, each of these individuals and each of these candidates is is uh, unique. Each of these races is important. The whole picture is important for the future of healthcare, for the future of uh, our job prospects, so that we're not. Uh, just giving away hundred million dollar payoffs to companies that don't need them. So, um, Senator Larson, we gotta run. We gotta we gotta take a commercial break here. We really, really super appreciate uh, you joining us for these two segments and telling us about these candidates, but also for supporting uh, this Jeff Smith fundraiser Thursday, October fourth. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. See everybody there. Okay, great. Thank you. And we, of course, we want to thank Senator Larson for spending so much time with us and going so thoroughly through each one of those races. Hope you all get involved in these races. It's very important. Again, this Saturday, if you're in Milwaukee area, come join me at 9 o'clock at uh, the Julie Henze office on about 121st of Burleigh. We'll have, a, have all that information. But we got to wrap this up. I want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes it happen every week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. And we'll see you next week.